Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Now, if you get some veggie, you might mix it up into a glass of water. There's no alcohol in that. And it won't make it into alcohol. Yeah, uh, racism in sport in Australia is reflective of the country's racism in Australia in general. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wasn't really happy with how it was dealt with, if I'm honest. Um, I was told not to say anything by the club, by my club. Yes, you're listening to... The race cut on sin 90.7. Ah, a little bit loud there. And uh, before we begin, I'm just going to do an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the Kulin people as the owners of the land on which we meet, and we pay our respects to elders, elders both past and present. This land was never ceded, and the process of colonization, occupation, incarceration, and genocide that began over two centuries ago continue to this day. You're listening to our one-hour show where we, talk, we chat politics, current affairs, and public culture with a little bit of a twist, as well as wrapping up the most thought-provoking issues in Australia for the week. Today we'll look at racism in sport, investigate hashtag Vegemigate. Yeah, what is Vegemigate? Stay tuned, you'll find all about that and discuss Eddie Maguire's interesting comments during the week. And remember, don't forget to, t- to get involved in the show and all the discussions by texting it on 027-767-767 or, or tweet us using the hashtag RaceCard. So get involved in the show. It is your show as well. And um, I guess we're just going to... we're gonna, I'm going to be talking to some of my co-hosts right now and introducing them. And here are some of my co-hosts for this week. Tani. Amina. I, I, I think I didn't get your mic on there, Tani. Can you just introduce yourself one more time? Yeah, it's Tani. Oh, again, I did not get your mic on. I apologize profusely. What was your name again? Tarnin. Tarnin. They say the third time is the charm, and I guess it was. And this week, we, you know, we've been discuss- we've been examining a topic on race every week so far, uh, from what is racism to what is white privilege. And last week we tackled cultural appropriation. Now we're going to take on, you know, we're going to take on an interesting topic. I think we can all, um, I guess, agree with is uh, a discussion. I think. We haven't had a lot in Australia about nationhood and what is Australian identity and and having a having a deep discussion about that. So um, Amina went on the you know Amina went into the into the road on the road to see what Australia thought. Who are Australians? What is Australian identity? And you know I think she got some interesting responses. So what is Australianness and how do you define it? Um, I'd say it's pretty hard to define because there's like depends on where, what framework you come from. Whether you you come from like a colonial heritage, maybe you define it by settlers or settler culture, or whether you come from an indigenous heritage, like you know it goes back a lot longer. But when you're in the middle, I don't think Australian. This is something that you even try to negotiate. You just try and figure out how you can take yourself and put it into whatever context you are. So I don't really think there is an answer. So what is Australianness and how would you define it? 
guess Australianness in terms of national identity, um, like all national identities, is a pursuit of um, the post-colonial in the era of the post-colonial world, where um, we, after the creation of the nation-state, nation there is this need to create a new identity, and I think the pursuit of Australianness is so. It's such a challenge because it's not. It's it's a it's a it's, there's a legacy of being a settler nation and also a culture, uh, and a history, and you know, and, and traditions of the past. And I think for me, in this context, Australian is in a is in a way a facade. It's a it's a form of denial of the colonial legacy and, and the atrocities and the genocide that has happened, and move, and tries to move forward with this idea of multiculturalism and acceptance. So that it's in a way like those two elements collide with each other, and in that way it is a facade. What is Australianness, and how would you define it? I think growing up, what it means to be Australian and Australianness is thrust upon us. We it's thrust upon us in the media, when we go to school, um, in sport. But when you grow up, you kind of see that. What it means to be Australian isn't anything. It doesn't. There's. It can be anything at all. So, what is Australianness, and how would you define it? It's a pretty damn loaded question. But my mum bought for me all the seasons around the twist, which is an Australian TV show for children. I feel that encapsulates a lot of Australia, especially the creativeness of Australian children's literature. I think it can delve a lot into that. So, what is Australianness, and how would you define it? Um, uh, I find it like hard to define Australianness, I guess. But um, from a second-gen migrant perspective, I guess it's like anything you want it to be. So, how I would like to define Australian people is as like this open, friendly culture that's like not racist, multicultural, multicultural, everyone's like friendly to everyone. But what I find is when I travel overseas, I am constantly having to defend Australian culture to outside people who just think we're really bigoted and racist and like not loving of other cultures. And that's like, as a child, I loved Australia. And as, you know, an adult, I'm finding Australia really hard to deal with because we're not the friendly multicultural people we pretend to be to outside cultures. So what is Australianness and how would you define it? I mean, basically, citizenship, I guess. But um, also, I guess it's just, there's a lot of history in our country about uh, what we'd like to have acceptance of a number of different races that we don't actually accept. So... I think that it's kind of that a lot about that tension there where you've got this white side of the country and non-white side of the country which just doesn't accept the other side so I think a lot of it's about power and how that is unequal in our society so I think it's not ideal but it's pretty shit but I think we would want to say, you know, all this ideals about equality and stuff, but they don't really come through. So I guess that's kind of what it comes to. It's very confusing. 
Yeah, it is a, it is a bit confusing, isn't it? Um, that was what some of us, uh, what some Australians thought was Australian identity and what it meant. Uh, there were a few colourful responses there, Amina. And I guess what I'm going to ask you now is, what is Australian identity? I think confusing is a pretty apt and concise way to put it. When we're talking about Australian identity, one needs to investigate the foundations of Australia. Um, Australia is a settler state rooted in Britishness, and consequently, this permeates through what is traditionally um, perceived as Australian. However, fast forward so many years, and now we're grappling with this identity because it no longer fits what many people think is Australian because now we have concepts like multiculturalism. We have... Um, all these things coming into place, and that is confronting. However, you can't just brush off the foundations of Australia, the foundations that it's been founded on in terms of that identity, and jump into this new multicultural era without addressing the embedded racism and anti-Indigenous establishment of that foundation. Definitely, definitely. And I guess people people say, hey, Australia is a multicultural society. We're a multi, like a melting pot of differing cultures. And I guess, how how does that look to you, Tanin? And, and when we think about Australians, do we think white Anglo-Saxon Australians, settlers coming from um, Britain and, and the UK? Is that what we think? Yeah, definitely. If you see a person, like, when you see a person saying that they're Australian, it's not usually a person of colour, it's usually, like, a white person or um, yeah, Anglo-Saxon. So, you know, I think that the whiteness of Australia is ultimately, you know, obviously English or British or anybody that's white, but as an Aboriginal person, you know, people think, oh, yeah, you should call yourself call yourself Australian, but... I think that by calling myself Australian, by, by calling myself Australian, it's confirming my genocide. And by anyone who, who else does call themselves Australian, it's also confirming, um, my people's genocide. So I think that, you know, us, you know, as all Australia, all this Australians, um, would, yeah. Sorry. I guess it, I guess it's difficult, especially with a history of colonial colonialism, uh, genocide, and, and particularly genocide of Aboriginal people. Yeah. Um, your people, and it's 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 a hard pill to swallow to say for for other people to say, hey, why aren't you proud of who you who we are? Yeah. And this is we're, we've been here for two hundred plus years. We are now ingrained into this society. Why aren't you accepting us? Well, I guess it comes from, you know, even the Adam Goods thing. Like, as long as we are assimilating to their culture, it's okay. But as soon as we act Aboriginal, that's when it's not okay. So the whole Adam Goods thing kind of, like, confirmed Australia's racism and how they, you know, reacted to him throwing a spear or a boomerang. So it's all okay to be an Aboriginal person as long as you don't act Aboriginal. But also one of the other things about, you know, Australia being multicultural, um, we always Aboriginal people always be put in like the multicultural section of things and it's like, no, Aboriginal people aren't multicultural here. Like we belong here. It's like white people and everyone else is are multicultural, not us. So I think that's um just to confirm, you know, some of the people's thoughts about, you know, Aboriginal people being multicultural, it's you know, it's the white Australia as well. The white Australia are multicultural, not Aboriginal people. Definitely. I mean, I guess 
Um, coming from, like, we're talking there about coming from a, a, a background of migrants coming to Australia. Personally, my parents migrated here from, from Somalia and, and Kenya, respectively. How, how do you, I guess, navigate with identity? I think identity is an interesting one for me um, on a personal level and also on a more greater level. Um, my parents are Filipino and Sri Lankan. I identify as such. I, I'm i a little bit hesitant to identify as Australian, if ever, only because it's an identity that is, well, it's confusing, like what was already mentioned, but also it is not um, all-encompassing of people, and it's of all different kinds of people, I should say. It's not um, one of the most inclusive identities to have, and it's an identity perhaps that I don't want to bear myself because it seems like a very constricted um, designation, which I personally, in my own resistance, would probably not want to perfectly fit into that mold. Definitely, definitely. And we're going to be taking a music break, and I think it's pretty apt, um, given given the kind of show we are, we are the race card. And I was I was very very um, I guess taken aback by Janelle Monae's past week. She got involved with the Black Lives Matter um, uh, protest, as well as making a, making and dedicating a show uh, a song to some of the people that have suffered through police brutality in the states. And I thought, hey. We're that kind of show, and we're going to play that song. So here's Hell You Talbot, um, and that's by Janelle Monet. What does cultural preparation mean? Got no idea. What comes to mind? What was the question? Um, I don't actually know. <laughs> Have you heard no. What, what comes to mind when you think of it? Preparing people for understanding cultures. I'm not sure really, maybe just like being ready to be accepting of other cultures and yeah. Like you respect people's culture or like that? Yeah, we're going that. Cultural, like bringing everybody together. What about you? Is that like multiculturalism? Okay, well that's what I think it is. <laughs> yeah. Cultural appropriation. Isn't that when things from particular cultures get taken by others or something along those lines. When you hear the term. Isn't it like when people, um, they ad- like adapt into another culture, like they take elements from another culture and they bring into their own or is it... What about yeah. you? I just have no idea. <laughs> cool. I really don't know. What do you think it means? What do you think it means? Um, treating each culture like as they should be treated, just treating everyone the same. I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cultural appropriation. I don't know. I don't know what that would mean. What comes to mind? Something about culture. Well, <laughs> culture, but also probably something that's um that you've got some ownership to it. I'm Luke from Indigenous X, and you're listening to The Race Card. Race Card. And now we're going to move on to the week that was. What's happened during the week? And uh, you'll find out right now. And um, 
we were we were just talking about Australian identity just a moment ago, and given New Zealand designing a new flag, is it time for Australia to change up theirs to to go a bit you know new age to shake things up? And uh, Tanin, do you think it might be time to to take and get rid of that little Union Jack on the side, and maybe because it may might symbolise a period of colonialism, um, a period of unhealthy dominance? Is that what do you think? Yeah, I think it definitely does. The un- especially the Union Jack, you know, that re- represents so much racism, and it doesn't just um, happen here in Australia. It happened all around the world, from the English, and it definitely represents colonialism and invasion and genocide to many people, and especially to myself as an Aboriginal person. I do not rep- like that flag. Doesn't represent me. Doesn't represent any Aboriginal people. Um, so I really think it's a great idea that New Zealand have decided to change their flag and include, you know, Indigenous people in that conversation. But I guess it goes back to Australia not having, you know, um, Ab- Aboriginal people representing, like, good representation. You know, we've got, we don't have a treaty, and that's, you know, lots of things have been discussed about that, so that's why... I guess we haven't had any input into anything in Australia and also um, into the flag because I think members of war have burnt the flag. Well, they have burnt the flag. So I think it just goes to show that, you know, we definitely don't agree with the flag or the Union Jack. So I really hope that they choose a flag that represents uh, Indigenous people in New Zealand. Definitely. Given, I guess, um, specifically in Australia... The way the flags raised a bit of controversy in the mm. past couple of, and with that we're gonna we're gonna see what Australians think about the flag. Should we maybe change it? Let's find out. New Zealand is having a vote at the end of the year about changing their flag. Um, yeah. Would you support the idea of Australia changing their flag? Uh, depends to what. If it was the Nazi flag, probably not. Um, I don't know. How does one choose what the flag will be? I'm all for change, but I'd like to know what it's changing to first. Yeah. But as a concept, the idea of changing a flag, do you have any issues with the current flag? Or um, No, but it does have tied to the monarchy. Like, if New Zealand doesn't wish to be tied to the monarchy, and if we don't wish to be tied to the monarchy... Monarchy is a symbol of old times, dead times. We're trying to progress. But it's the New Zealand, so are they changing to like include Maori traditions? Yeah, I don't feel particularly attached to the Australian flag, so yeah, I think I'd be pro changing it. Yeah, or like at least the idea of there being an open debate about it. I think that's important. Um, and who knows what it would be like? It's not particularly inclusive, I think, of all of Australia necessarily. Absolutely. How come? Well, get rid of the Union Jack. Um, and I mean, I guess the argument some people put forward in New Zealand is that, um, and in Australia as well, is that it's a tradition, culture, and those kind of things. Yes, but it also means a lot more than that. It means that you're tied to the UK, and then you're not an independent sovereignty, and that you're not an independent country. So it's symbolic. Honestly, powerful. I've never really thought about it that much, but I feel if it's something people are feeling really strongly about, then it's something we should be discussing. So if there's been enough people kind of going 
I don't know, talking about this kind of thing, saying that we should be changing the flag, then I think it needs to be acknowledged that there are people out there saying that this needs to be done. And I think that's been around for a while. There's always been those kind of um, people talking about that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Me personally, I don't really feel strongly about it one way or the other. But if it's important to other people, then it's something that needs to be discussed. So. If you had to vote to change it or keep it the same? I don't know. Have to think about it more. Sorry. Um, there's, a, there's a list of, uh, of flags that people oh, have created cool. and proposed. Um, do any of them jump out at you or ones you might be interested in if you had to choose one? If I had to choose one, I really like number one. I think it looks pretty cool. It's, um, just for those listening, number one's kind of a, I guess, a boomerang on the left-hand side with a star. Southern Cross. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd like, like, a mixture. If you had the correct, if you had the kangaroo on top with the boomerang with the star, that'd be kind of sick. All, like, all of the above. Yeah, if we just put them all together in one big collage. Probably number three. Um, so for listeners, number three is, is essentially the, the bottom half of the Aboriginal flag with uh, blue on top and the Southern Cross stars. What, why that one? Why did that one jump out of you? Well, because it incorporates the Aboriginal flag, but sort of keeps to the traditions of what they actually are, as well as the Australian flag. Um, and instead of having it at the top left corner, like we do have the Union Jack, um, um, you know, it sort of demotes that, you know, in our flag, it demotes that Britain is there, but it's not really important. And if you put the Aborigine flag up there, then it would kind of denote the same thing. Perhaps the one with the kangaroo, I think. Yeah. People would recognise it. It's got the stars that people would recognise. I think most people would know what it was. Hmm. Out of just general aesthetics, I like the kangaroo one. <laughs> um, but in terms of meaning and things like that, I guess I'd have to do my research and see what I feel most, like, most connected to. Um, but I think it would be a really like beneficial um, step to include um, like Indigenous Australians is a part of our flag and representing that. You're listening to Sin 90.7 FM and we are the race card. Remember, you can listen to all our shows via podcast. Um, go to the Mixcloud website and, and type in race card and you'll find us right there, right here. But anyway, remember, you can get involved in discussions by texting in on 027-767-767 or tweet us using the hashtag race card. Now, we're in our segment the week that was and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what's been going on this week. You know, Vegemite, it can get you drunk, apparently. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that, Tarnine? Well, let me tell you a little bit about that. You, you I mean, as well. <laughs> this week, Indigenous Affairs Minister Nigel Scullin came to the government, uh, claimed that the government want to restrict the sales of Vegemite in remote Indigenous communities. Well, he said to the BBC... Addiction of any type is a concern, but communities, especially where alcohol is banned, must work to ensure home brewing of this type does not occur. And after that story, it went global, hitting the biggest media organizations in the world, from the BBC, obviously, the Daily Mail, the Independent, Time Magazine, the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, and other news outlets picking up the stories with headlines like, Would you 
drink Vegemite beer? Well, would you? So we thought we'd investigate, does Vegemite get you drunk? I went out and I asked um, a food scientist, and um, Annalene Pediachi from Melbourne University. And uh, she, she was a bit bamboozled. She thought, well, how does anyone get drunk over Vegemite? Let's hear what she had to say. There's no, if you get some Vegemite and mix it up into a glass of water, there's no alcohol in that, and it won't make it into alcohol. Um, if you took some Vegemite mix it up into a glass of sugar water, you're still not going to be making alcohol. Yeah, I actually have no idea how Vegemite got pulled into this. Um, it's beyond me as to how, you know, why this, this whole concept has come about. Um, I really, as a food scientist, I'm kind of bamboozled as to where, where this notion has come from. She was a bit bamboozled where that notion came from, and uh, she told me the only link she could possibly think about was yeast. Uh, yeast, I mean, it's commonly used in anything that needs to be raised um, that doesn't have bicarbonate soda in it. So all of your, you know, your leavened breads all have yeast in it. Um, your bread doughs, bread mixes, then all of your alcoholic beverages have yeast in it. But your yeast extract, you'd actually be surprised. It's actually in a lot of things, not just in Vegemite. You have it in stock cubes. You have it in soup mixes. Um, it adds flavor to a lot of processed food, per se. Because, I mean, think about Vegemite. It has got a very strong flavor. Um, so yeast extract um, can be used in a variety of different uh, food products to enhance the flavor of those food products. Yep, so apparently you can use yeast extract in almost anything. And almost everything we eat has yeast extract. You could make alcohol out of vodka, uh, out of, you can make vodka out of potatoes, wine out of grapes. So why, why Vegemite? Why will, why is Vegemite picked to, um, to I guess, to, to beat the stick on indigenous communities? And I don't know why, why is, uh, the, I guess, I guess we talks about journalism, journalism ethics, and the fact checking. Um, I guess I want to go to you, to you. I mean, you're just saying off air. Why Vegemite? Well, firstly, with Vegemite, that whole symbolic value in terms of this Australianness, this imagined Australianness that people talk about, which is also rooted in all this whiteness. Um, I don't want to say unfortunate. Unfortunately, it's just the way how it is. Um, but also, these stereotypes of Aboriginal people being you know, they're not responsible, their kids are doing terrible things. It's the same kind of rhetoric that was that has been used over and over again, you know? Like, it's the same kind of um, uh, rhetoric to um, invade and to justify why they should be, in, they, why they should intervene, just like the Northern Territory um, intervention. Definitely. And, you know, Mr... Mr. Team Australia, the captain of the team, thought he'd get up and weigh in on the subject. So I won't leave anything else to it. And let's hear what Mr. Tony Abbott, onion eater, had to say. This is a deregulatory government. And the last thing I want to do is to have a Vegemite watch. Uh, I really do. Uh, the last thing I want to see is a Vegemite watch going on. He doesn't want a Vegemite watch, but his... Um, Minister for Indigenous Affairs might want to. Why would his um, Minister for Indigenous Affairs 
go up onto the BBC and, and talk to them about an unsubstantiated claim, what do you think, Tani? Yeah, it's like everything that you know Aboriginal people do is continuously criminalised and I guess their use of Vegemite is being criminalised as well. You know, I guess it's always like a stereotype of, yeah, Aboriginal people. And I guess this is just another, you know, gateway for them to discriminate against Aboriginal people by, you know, slowing down their intake of Vegemite because they apparently can get drunk off it. So, Like the imagery that's been circulating throughout the media across the globe is Aboriginal children on their knees dunking down on a bathtub with Vegemite, alcoholic Vegemite, basically bathed in it. And and that kind of imagery, I guess, speaks of a very deep um, discrimination to um, Indigenous people, not, not only in Australia, but across the globe. If there was photos of Aboriginal people, like, in a bath, like... You know, these people don't have... Like, lots of Aboriginal people don't even have access to clean water, you know, so... You know, yeah, talking about these remote communities, yeah, um, are underfunded and 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 under resourced, and sometimes, yeah. as you said, don't even have access to clean water. Yeah, and we're talking about Australia, one of I think the fourteenth biggest economy in the world. Yeah, so you know when you know we've got saving people from not ha- from having clean drinking water, you know, Aboriginal people here in Australia, in our own backyard, don't even have access to clean water. So obviously, the person who's taking these photos was very being very opportunistic and trying to report just the most ridiculous story and um uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on to our next um segment and that ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It is. Actually, we're not moving on to our next segment. I shouldn't say that. But we're going on to our next topic. You know, Eddie Maguire, he's gone and done a little bit of interesting things this week. Um, he went out and, 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 and said to a Victorian Minister for Sports that he is, quote, unquote, a Turkish, um, a soccer-loving Turkish muzzy. And uh, that that's went around all around the, um, all around the world, uh, not all around the world, all around um, the media this past week. And um, I sat down to talk to um, a writer who wrote about this, Saman uh, Shad, who um, tells me about her perspectives of being called a muzzy. To the fact that I've never heard a Muslim person refer to another Muslim as a muzzy. Um, and especially after Maguire was like, oh, a lot of my Muslim friends call each other muzzy. I'm like, well, no, no. I mean, you know, I'm Muslim, my whole family's Muslim, we grew up in Australia, but we've never referred to each other as muzzy. So the whole thing just seemed ludicrous to me. Definitely. Um, and it's, it's <clears throat> a bit of a strange one as well, as he, as he calls it a term of endearment that his friends that are Muslim use uh, for themselves. 
regarding uh, things like that terms of endearment where I guess let's say for example Muslims reclaim that term muzzy I've, I've, heard, I've also heard it been used as a derogatory term is it for someone who's not a Muslim uh, to be saying that term of endearment well I mean I think the way he's saying it is look you know as Aussies we love shortening people's names you know we love shortening words so Australians become Aussie and you know um, Karen becomes Kaza and Darren becomes Daza, you know, like it's just another way of saying, hey, you know, Muslims, Muslims, or whatever. Um, but, you know, I think the thing is you have to be eye-perfect and you have to be led by the community. Um, if you're referring to a whole, you know, broad set of community, um, whether this community finds that an acceptable term, you know, and I think for the most part, they, they don't. Um, and even if, you know, if like I call someone a Muslim, which it sounds ridiculous to me. I mean, even just coming out of my mouth sounds ridiculous. Um, I think as a Muslim, I could probably get away with it, but I'm not sure if someone from outside the community would get away with it. Um, so... I guess with, with Eddie Maguire's, um, as you said, putting his foot in his mouth a number of times, similar to his uh, colleague, uh, Sam Newman, do you think there's a, there's a problem with, uh, with the way we discuss about things like this in, in Australian society? Yeah, I think like a lot of the times it has to do with the fact that they don't know people from outside of their, you know, very wide um, sort of top of the media, you know, circle of people that they know. And, and, you know, you think this is the stuff that they are broadcasting in public. You know, what are they saying to each other behind the scenes? And I think that it just kind of becomes part of a very much more deeper, um, you know, problem that is that exists within our media and that is like, I mean, you, you turn on the TV and, you know, you watch, you know, most of the, the mainstream channels here, everyone on it is white, you know, and you're like, um, I think they, they kind of live in this bubble where they feel like, well, actually, the stuff that we're saying, everyone thinks that and, and it's completely acceptable and it's just because it's, yeah, which is which is a huge problem in Australia and I think Sam Newman and Eddie McGuire are just kind of like the tip of the iceberg and they're just perhaps, you know, the most mouthy of, of these sort of media types. I mean, I think Eddie McQuarrie is the most well-paid um, Australian broadcaster. I mean, you think he should know better, but clearly, you know, he doesn't. You talked about a community who set a standard of what people can call one another in, in said community. How have you reacted through the comments of ICV who said, it's just a bit of fun, it's Australia, it's Australian Muslims, um, Dealing with how there's misconceptions, we're just Aussie muzzies. It's 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 how Australian society, as you said, shortens words. What do you think about their comments? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and I think you know, you've got you were expressing the same thing on Twitter as well. It's just um, confusing and disappointing because you're like, well, really, you guys, you don't have anything better to sort of you know mention rather than supporting Eddie Maguire's comments. So I'm, I mean, personally, I don't know where the ICD is coming from. Um, but, you know, hey, they, they might well be really big fans of Eddie Maguire's and, you know, feel like he needs their support. I mean, I I don't know, you know. Um, I think there's bigger battles to fight, personally, if I was them. And So there are bigger battles to fight in Saman's opinion. Um, and I, I guess the, the, the thing that worried me the most, I mean, is Islamic Council Victoria's comments and, and the way they kind of brush it aside and saying, hey... He's not doing anything wrong here. He's just saying what Aussies say. He's shorting in. What do you think about that? 
I think it's important to realize that racism can be insidiously coded. When someone uses the word muzzy, it's not predicated on affection. If it was, we would be calling each other muzzy all the time, and we don't. It's something that other people use to derogatorily describe Muslim people. And while, yes, there are bigger things to talk about, but, you know, these big issues, they come from a particular root, and that root needs to be addressed. And that root can manifest itself on so many different levels, one of which is derogatorily calling Muslim people muzzies. Do you, um, have you heard of the term white privilege? White privilege? No, not really. What do you think it means? I wouldn't even know, no. What Haven't got a clue. Mean? Don't know. Seriously. Privilege means being able to uh, go where you want without fear of being attacked. Um, or, like, persecuted for how you look. Yeah. Okay. Alright, so... No, five seconds. Five seconds, go for it. Alright, so... What does the term white privilege mean to you? What does what? White privilege. Uh, there is not such a thing, man. Not for me. Not for you? No, man. We are all the same. Blood is red. We are all the same. All brothers. Uh, <laughs> what does the term white privilege mean to you? Uh, well, privilege for white people, I guess. Yeah, so... Is this like racism kind of stuff? <laughs> what is it in here? Just, just off your head. Oh, well, I guess. Centrelink? White privilege, I guess, is the kind of um, specialty or privileges that the white people have here. I mean, we're talking about the local white Australian. They're having, you know, having access to welfare, housing, and everything that is um, being state provided, I assume. What does the term white privilege mean to you? Um, wow, that's a that's a pretty hard-hitting question. Um, I suppose white privilege is kind of a monopoly of power and ideas when it comes to things like business, politics, government, media... Uh, even things like the police and the military dominated by people who all have uh, a collective set of assumptions that never get tested by the people around them. And um, you're listening to this. You're listening to Sin on 90.7 FM. We are the race card. Um, remember, you can get in all the discussions on. By texting in on zero two seven seven six seven seven six seven or tweet us using the hashtag racecard. Um, we now look at our feature this week: racism in sport. It's 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 quite topical with the past few weeks and months with things going on in Australia and abroad with Adam Goods being booed and how that how that story was covered. Um, we're going to be talking to journalist, journalism academic um, and AFL multicultural ambassador Nasha Batham. Um, tell us about what she thinks about racism in f- sport and, and how prevalent it may be. Yeah, uh, racism in sport in Australia is reflective of systemic racism in Australia in general. Uh, unfortunately, this country, um, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but the context of it is that this country um, is one which is obsessed with sport. 
Now, because the issue of racism affects different institutions in Australia, sport is not immune to that. Now, uh, to the AFL's credit, in Aussie rules, there is a recognition, officially anyway, and by the sports administrators, that racism is a problem. So they've um, tried to, for instance, make their sport a little bit more diverse. Um, I'm aware of another sport, netball, which is historically... It has historically been a very, very white um, Anglo-dominant sport. Um, netball has also, um, to its credit, tried to reach out to culturally and linguistically diverse communities uh, and to try and be a little bit, a bit less, um, you know, a little bit less monocultural, um, you could say. But um, the, the problem is the racism is sort of ingrained. I mean, um, historically, we've seen some of the terrible ways in which Indigenous athletes have been treated. Uh, the, out of goods um, treatment recently that's only the latest manifestation uh, of that. A former governor of um, South Australia uh, Sir Douglas Nichols was an indigenous uh, footballer. He tried out for the Carlton Football Club many many years ago and he made it to their list but the players um, themselves didn't want to you know to play with a, an indigenous man. They said he was smelly and you know the club didn't at the time didn't do anything about it. They simply said, "Okay, well, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to play him." Um, and you know, it's this sort of thing is. Um, I think Adam Goods's story is just the latest manifestation of that. Um, now, the issue is there are also uh, many sports, as you mentioned, in Australia, and racism affects all of them. You know, from if, you, if you're talking about soccer or association football, all the way down to the grassroots. I've had teammates, you know. Um, face racial uh, slurs from opponents and it, it doesn't happen very often but it definitely happens and the sad fact is no code in Australia I think is, is clean uh, from this particular um, you know uh, from this particular stain on, on public life uh, racism is unfortunately something that we've uh, sort of come to accept as uh, being part of the game um, whatever game that, that happens to be that you mentioned uh, soccer or association football, a lot of fans have come out in force comparing the Adam Good situation to um, how football uh, deals with issues regarding racism. Um, and I, I guess specifically at the institutional level, there's, um, as you know, the national identity, uh, national club identity policy. Talk to me about that and its ramifications for teams that want to participate in um, football in Australia at the highest level. Okay, so with the whole thing with this um, with this particular uh, policy, uh, I guess it has to be read in the context of um, what some people view as attempts to whitewash the game. And the notion was that um, the sports administrators at the time, for whatever reason, decided that to link uh, clubs to ethnicities was going to be uh, you know was going to be an issue. Um, I don't actually accept the argument that this is an attempt to whitewash the game. Um, clubs, organisations can still be built that have uh, ties to specific communities. Um, on, on the one hand, I sort of see the argument that um, you're preventing uh, certain communities or certain ethnic groups from identifying with that particular culture. But on the other hand, We've, I, I would like to think that we, as a society, has, have moved on from um, making one particular uh, ethnic or cultural group the defining um, identification uh, or factor of identification in a, um, in a sport. The sport should be going in or should it allow for this organic, um, I guess, as you said, fade in the background? 
Um, look, on the one hand, I completely understand uh, the feelings of people who, who feel that they've... Or, or the position of, of people who feel that they've worked very hard with their communities, with their families, to build up these clubs. And then to not be allowed uh, to implement that in the form of the club's logo, for example. Um, that's, that is a very difficult um, instruction to have to, to swallow. You know, that is a very difficult command to have to, to, have to obey. And I, I really... I, I, I hate having to compare um, this sport to another sport, but if you take a look at what um, Aussie Rules is doing, for example, they're currently hosting a tri-nations, not a tri-nations, I think it's four countries, they're hosting a South Asian Cup, and specifically all four teams have been encouraged to design logos that reflect their countries of origin. So if you take a look at what some other sports are doing, it does seem that this ban is incredibly excessive. I guess now, given your experience in sports media, talk to me, uh, I guess, media as well as sports media. And that was Nesha Batham giving us the lowdown on what she thought about racism in sport as the AFL um, multicultural ambassador, as well as um, someone who's been experienced in the game, covering it and in journalism for, for quite some time. And I guess something that struck a chord with me was the discussion with the, the NCIP, the National Club Identity Policy, which has given a, a lot of football fans a lot of hardship and I think about this National Club Identity Policy. Yeah, it sounds like so insane. It reminds me of like the Kathy Freeman and the... Oh, was it Damien Cooper at the Olympic Games and how they got in, like, a lot of trouble for, you know, promoting the Aboriginal flag at the Games. But um, in regards to AFL, you know, that is built in so much racism that a game, the AFL, was actually stolen from our country. So, you know, it's very sensitive to me and my people because... Oh, yeah, this, is not, this is not necessarily AFL. This is, yeah. this is soccer, um, football, uh, that, that have put on the National Club Identity Policy. Yeah. Definitely. Um, anyway, uh, let's let's move on. We've got our next interview with Paul Eiffel, a footballer who who played in the A the A League and played for Wellington Knights for for a number of years. was uh, was a big player, and he talks and and gives me the the lowdown on how he felt about being racially vilified in an A League game a few years ago, um, and and how he didn't like how things were taken in terms of procedure by the governing bodies and and his own club. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wasn't particularly happy with how it was dealt with, if I'm honest. Um, I was told not to say anything by the club, by my club, um, and that it would be handled by um, Adelaide and, and the police. Um, and that was kind of where it was left. And I know the guy was um, banned for two years, um, but I was never never issued with an apology from him. Um, I still, to this day, don't know who he was. Um, and it was for me, it was more about the people that were surrounding him. You know, he was he was effing and blinding and calling me all the names under the sun but you know he's standing around there's kids that are sort of four, five and six around him and they, they've got no idea you know what these words are and what they mean and, and whether they're allowed um, and he didn't seem to care about that and I, I just thought oh, it would be nice for me to be able to um, say my bit um, by the club uh, and also my manager at the time actually didn't come out and say anything either so I wasn't I wasn't just pleased with how it was handled if I'm honest how do you think um, situations like these should be handled in the future? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, obviously you have to be careful because you look at how the Adam Goods thing has gone. Um, 
and you know he's it looks like it's sort of turned around on him when all he was doing was saying look you know what the girl has said is is wrong she needs to realize that um you know she should apologize um and it sort of got thrown around the other way and it was as though he was the bad guy and, and i know there's a lot more to it than that but it, it kind of makes you think well am i best just not making the accusation in the first place so how the the ffa or the afl or whoever's dealing with these these, these issues at the time deal with it i suppose every case is different um so it's hard to say it has to be dealt with this way or, or that way do you think more contact with players as you said like you weren't talked to about how it was going we're just going to let the police and and if they deal with it you sit by sit back and just wait for things to happen especially when you're the victim in the situation yeah absolutely i think it would be nice if somebody had actually asked me if it was actually bothering me did it affect me um would i you know like to talk about it there was none of that um and i felt i think uh, Ricky Herbert was the coach at the time and he basically just brushed it under the carpet and um, he was asked a couple of times you know whether it affected me whether it bothered me he said oh no uh, we don't want to talk about that we're going to um we're going to let the police and uh, Adelaide United deal with it and i was thinking well it would be nice for me to actually say my bit and say whether it bothered me and and you know and like i said what i wanted to get out there was let's look at the bigger picture and you know you're surrounding yourself with kids at a football game you really got to think about what you what you're saying um it's not so much if you're a bigger that's fine um I can deal with that one big boy but it's it's you're affecting other people around you do you think especially in sport and specifically because you play football and have played football for um i think 20 years or something like that um maybe what do you think do you think discussions on racism and race is is happening enough do you think organizations like the FFA and governing bodies are doing enough Well, I don't think they're doing enough. I mean, we're in the, in this day and age. We shouldn't even be talking about it. Just, I can't believe there are issues around race um, in sport. You know, let's just get on and play, and, and may the best man or woman win. Um, I suppose that's what disappoints me most. That there are these people still out there. But if it does happen, then I think discussions do have to uh, be had, uh, and they need to stamp it out pretty quickly because you know, it, like I said, in this day and age, it shouldn't be on. It's just. I still find it really strange um it they does go on I think it's tough for some of the governing bodies to to really stamp it out and I know a lot of people do get racially vilified and actually don't say anything because they think well if the process isn't going to work for me what's the point of actually uh putting myself out there uh when it can be turned around on me anyway especially um I guess you know you're talking about young children being there amongst people that are saying very um i guess racist and and very um very hard language with education processes what do you think should happen in the UK they've got the kick it out doing work with with the PFA and the FA with the new app in terms of recording um recording uh, racist uh racist abuse in in the stands and what have you and i think making some education programs do you think that should be happening here Yeah, why not? I I think you know is if it's working then uh let's let's go down that route. I think, you know, can we educate the and most of the time it's not the kids, you know. It does happen even in again mostly it's adults and you're thinking what 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 have you missed? Where 
where does that come from? I, I still find it really, really strange. I think that's that's my point of view. Um, and maybe they do need to be educated. And and but I suppose it's hard because they won't see that they've done anything wrong. Um, you know, if that's how they've been brought up, and that's that's down to them. So I suppose it's it's a tough one. We have to start uh, again with the kids. Um, and explain to them these situations, you know, shouldn't happen. Um, and, and maybe that's the way to go, to, you know, through sport, do it that way. And with talking about how you weren't happy with the way your coach dealt with it, do you think there should be a bigger and better leadership in terms of people in, in those um, management positions taking on and, and actually making sure they're looking after the players' well-being? I, I think so. Why not? I mean, at the end of the day, I went there to, to play a game of football on that particular night and I was racially abused. So for me, it was a slam dunk, straightforward, defend your player because, you know, I was the one who was only going and trying to do my job. Surely it was easy for him to come out and go, what happened tonight was unacceptable. He heard it because he told me he heard it um, and then he never made a statement on it. So, yeah, I, you know, in that, in, in that circumstance, I, I do look back now and think it's not easy. He may not have had to deal with anything like that before. Um, he may not have had any players of of my race before, I suppose, um, or anybody racially abused. So it might be new for him, and it's, oh, I don't know how to deal with this. It's best to say nothing. But I think, you know, he could have came out and, and said, you know, I, I want to make sure that my player's okay, um, and he shouldn't have to deal with that sort of stuff in this day and age. But he, but he didn't. So, yeah, we'll never know why, really. This is Amir Rahman, and you're listening to The Race Card. Yes, you're listening to The Race Card. And that was Paul Eiffel giving me a bit of a, bit of a, a background, how he felt how, about how the whole racism issue was dealt when he was racially abused by an LA United fan a few seasons ago. Initially, when I heard about the story, when the play was immediately um, taken into a two-year a ban of any any football game across the country. I was thinking, all right, that was swift, that was quick, um, and the actions have been made. But now, looking back in hindsight, and talking to Paul, it was probably tre- it was probably handled very poorly. A player not getting any say on how things went, no apology being made, and and especially when he said something um, about how. A lot of players don't actually want to talk about this because they're afraid what might happen, especially with Adam Goods. What's what happened with Adam Goods? Amina, how how big of an issue do you think this is in sport? I think it's unfortunate that when misfortune befalls somebody, there's no course of action that they can take or that course of action is inaccessible. Um, I think that's very telling of the kind of institutions and the structures that are in place that make it difficult, that add red tape to that process. Um, I think that is indicative. That's just, just indicative of a larger culture and a larger cultural problem. And having been in um, um, a lot of sports circles, specifically on regarding football, there is a, a huge problem when we discuss racism and, and this idea of even though football is this universal game that so many people play of different ethnicities and race, there are still issues with racism. And, and Tani, how how difficult uh, how difficult would you imagine your your young player you're playing for ex sports team and a group of a group of guys you know start saying racial slurs and it becomes your nickname for example. 
Yeah, I guess I've played for an all-Aboriginal netball team, the Fitzroy Stars, and that's, you know, one of the oldest um, netball teams and football teams, like, in the state, which are Aboriginal Pacific, and I guess, you know, it's just constant. Like, you can't escape it, even though, um, you know, it's not name-calling and be the ref, like, calling really bad calls and things like that. So I can understand that, you know, when if someone was said that to me, like, Oh, and it became my nickname. Um, I wouldn't even know. Like, I probably would just quit. And I guess in Australia at the moment, you can report racism, but the process is so hard that you know lots of people are just turned off the whole thing. It's just because they make it very difficult. Because obviously, Australia doesn't care, and you know they don't care about racism and don't you know care yeah. about people of color. Like um, having spoken to a few. Uh, I won't name them, a few sports people who've played in, in various different codes, and, and they've told me that they're afraid to talk about racism, they're afraid to call it out, because when they have, in the past, uh, multiple times, different different situations, they've been labelled, you know, um, oh, this guy's, you know, calling the race card, he's he's a bit, you know, too controversial, players have to move clubs, and, 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 and one of those players actually had a, a very, very, very... Um, racist nickname given to him when he was at a club for over 10 years for around 10 years oh. and this and, and and the term was so visibly and obviously racist and, and that kind of culture is steeped into into, mm-hmm. into sporting culture and i guess it what, what paul says it's it's very very saddening to hear but we're gonna we're gonna leave that there but actually before we do leave um you, you touched on a very interesting point before when uh, when Nasha was talking about AFL and and how it actually is a stolen game as well, um, yeah. t- can you talk to a little bit about that? Yeah, so it comes from my country down in Gunditjmara country, and the game was used but with possum skin as the ball. So the game actually comes from Gunditjmara country, and I guess it's never really acknowledged. But then they had the they've started the Indigenous round, which I think has been around since like two thousand five maybe, and it started off like celebrating and that you know that they had taken the game and. Um, but now it's just turned into like a huge propaganda about you know celebrating Aboriginal culture, which is fine, but it's never been acknowledged that they actually stole the game um, from Aboriginal people. And so yeah, so it's very like um, saddening for my people, and I guess it's very controversial. Controversial, um, you know, when Aboriginal people act Aboriginal during the game and. Uh, you know, ridiculed and yeah, obviously with the Adam Good situation and and everything running out regarding that, is the game if I'm right in saying Mongrook? Yeah, Mongrook. Yeah, Mongrook. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, actually, just on that, I'm I'm pretty sure there was a very very lovely poem done by Maxine uh, Maxine Benin Clark um, about about the about the game and and um, I think that was on Corner West. Um, trip to Melbourne but anyway we're yeah, going to cut this one. show we're going to cut this show short um, not really short but we're going to cut it anyway <laughs> um, that's our show for this week hope you've enjoyed it don't forget to podcast us search us on Mixcloud we are the race card and um, remember you can tune in every week Sunday 3pm on Sin 90.7 FM that's me Ahmed Yusuf you can find me on Twitter at Ahmed Yusuf 10 and my co-hosts Tanin Onus Williams you can find me um, at Tanin T-A-R-N-W-N and I am not on Twitter but I'll work on that <laughs> this is Amina by the way <laughs>
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 